What's going on, everybody, and welcome to the College Info Geek Podcast. My name is Thomas Frank, and this is a show that helps you become a more effective student. And in this episode, you're going to learn what it takes to open a coffee shop. Now, hear me out. I know this is probably not a goal that every single student has, but this is an episode that I was a bit curious about because when I was in college, I had a friend of mine who really wanted to open her own coffee shop when she graduated. And she asked me, you know, what's your advice for doing that? I know you don't own a coffee shop, but you own your own business. And maybe some of your advice can translate over to the coffee business. And I was like, I don't know. The only thing I can think of is for you to go get a job at a coffee shop, work your way up to being the highest level person you can be, and just soak up as much knowledge as you possibly can. And that is exactly what she did, actually. She went and got a job at a coffee shop in our town. That's where she works now, and she's worked her way up to manager, and it's really cool to see. But that question kind of came back into my mind a couple of weeks ago, and I started to think, what does it take to run a coffee business? You know, and I think about this because I spend a lot of time in coffee shops. It's where I try to do most of my work. I've got my home office set up. It's where I'm recording this intro right now. It's where I record all my videos and where I do most of my editing. But when I want to write or when I want to read or research, I try to get out and those are the places I usually end up. So I was sitting in one of my favorite coffee shops the uh, couple weeks ago. And I just got to thinking about this question again. What does it take to run a coffee shop? This is actually a pretty interesting question. It's, uh, you know, it's a product that has pretty low margins compared to the kind of stuff that I quote unquote sell. I don't really sell anything, but I, you know, I'm not having to buy products and then try to make like a little tiny bit of profit off of each sale. So I just got to thinking like, this sounds like a pretty challenging business to run. I would love to understand how it's done. So I tried to think of people that I could interview, and I remembered my girlfriend and I had taken a trip to St. Louis to go to City Museum, which is an amazing place. It's like not a museum. It's like a crazy playground that people of all ages can go to, and like everything there is made out of metal and like sculpted out of crazy recycled stuff, and it's probably my favorite place on earth as a person who loves to climb on stuff and do parkour and all that kind of crazy stuff. Like I, I absolutely loved it. But when we were there, we went into a place called Park Avenue Coffee because Anna and I both have to do our daily reading and we did not put our reading goals on hold because of the vacation. So we found a uh, coffee shop to sit in. And I remember thinking like this coffee is some of the best coffee I have ever had. So when I got this question in my mind a couple of weeks later, I thought back to that coffee shop and I was like, you know what? I'm going to email the owner and I'm going to ask if he'd like to come on the show and talk about what it takes to build and run a coffee shop. And that is exactly what this episode is. It's an interview with Dale Shodi, who is the owner of Park Avenue Coffee in St. Louis, Missouri. Now, Park Avenue Coffee is actually now four coffee shops, a roasting facility and an entirely separate baking facility that provides lots of baked goods for all of their coffee shops. So Dale's running a pretty big operation at this point, but it started out with one coffee shop 10 years ago. So in this conversation, you're going to get to figure out how he got started, how he built the business, what his core ideals and principles are, and what has enabled his business to be successful for the last decade. I had such a good time talking with him, and I got to say, the lessons that Dale shared from what he's learned running his own business don't apply just to coffee. Like, we talk a little bit about, you know, where he buys his coffee, how he roasts it, all that kind of stuff, but for the most part, what he shared with me were principles that taught him how to run a good business. And he's actually got experience running different types of businesses. Coffee isn't the only thing he's ever done. So if you have 
any ambitions of running your own business someday, or if you just want to learn some of the principles that your future or current employer are hopefully using in the operation of their own business, which should hopefully help you become a better employee and gain more trust and maybe even get promoted sooner, then I think you're going to like this episode a lot. It's pretty high energy and I really enjoyed it. So that's all I've got for this intro. If you want to find the show notes, they are over at CIGpodcast.com. Find the episode 114 link on that page and you can find links to everything we mentioned in the episode along with ways to rate and review the podcast on iTunes if you would like to show your support for the show. So check those out if you're curious and let's get into the interview. Dale, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. So I I just got to tell you up front, I went into your downtown coffee shop in St. Louis when I was there to visit City Museum, which is now my favorite place in the world. It's a very cool place, yes. Oh my gosh, it is. I got a latte and it was like my favorite one I've ever had. Oh, wow. So yeah, my compliments to you. And I remembered I was sitting there and I remembered I had gotten a question from a friend of mine in college and she was like, I want to start my own coffee shop when I graduate. How do I do that? And I was like, I have no idea how to do that. But I would imagine that for any business, the best way to go about it would be to go get a job of a coffee shop, try to like become the right hand man or woman, and then learn all you can. I think that's a great idea. Unfortunately, I was not that smart when I got into coffee. <laughs> but, uh, I think that would be a great plan. And next time I decide to change careers midlife, I'll, uh, I'll take that into consideration. Yeah. Well, even though you didn't do that, you're now running, what is it, four coffee shops? Yeah, we have four shops here in the city of St. Louis, yes. Cool. So I kind of ran through this in the intro, but maybe I could just ask you to kind of give a a big grand overview of what your business is now, because it's not just coffee at this point, right? Right. We actually started out with a single coffee shop in a small neighborhood here in St. Louis within the city limits, but it's a small neighborhood within the city Mm -hmm. called Lafayette Square. Uh, It's a very nice little neighborhood, a bunch of Victorian three-story homes, very, very old part of St. Louis, great architecture, just a really cool walking community. And we started out there just about 10 years ago, actually. And it was a little bitty, 900 square foot, very, very small, quaint little coffee shop. And it just started out to be that. And a friend of mine actually had opened that shop about two years earlier. And I absolutely fell in love with the whole thing. It was the people and you build relationships and you get to know one another. And it's just a very people and a very relationship-based business. And before that, I was in IT for 20 years and I was able to build relationships with my customers. But the downside was, is I had to fix their computer and then I... (laughs) relationship. And when I helped this friend of mine, actually, when she opened the shop, of course, I came from an IT background. I helped her with her internal internet, her wireless internet for her customers and her internal network. I helped her mom with QuickBooks and some different things. And so I really helped her out to get the business started on the IT and the technology side of things, but really fell in love with the whole coffee aspect. At that time, I was very much a coffee snob and would only, you know, would only drink Starbucks coffee because that was the best we could get here in St. Louis at the time, or, mm-hmm. that, or I thought so anyway. So the long story short is two years later, I had said something to her at her grand opening, actually. And I said, you know what, if you ever want to sell this place, I just have fallen in love with the whole concept. It's a great little place. It's super, you know, really quaint and cozy. And she did a really nice job on the build out. I said, if you ever want to sell the place, let me know. So two years goes by and she calls me and she says, hey, you know, I'm pregnant. My husband's going to go back to school and get his doctorate. And she's like, you know, now it's just not a good time for me to own the coffee shop. Do you want to buy it? Remember you saying that? I'm like, well, yeah, I do remember saying that, but... I don't think so. You know, that, I think that that moment has passed. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, so, 
So I said, you know, give me a couple of days. I'll, I'll consider it. But, you know, I don't really think it's the right time. So two days later, it goes by. I'm going to call her back full intentions and saying, you know what? I'm not really interested. And my sister calls me who had 20 years Domino's pizza experience. So she had left her job and decided that she'd been in the pizza for 20 years and she just couldn't do it anymore. And she wanted out. And so I said, do you want to run a coffee shop? So that's kind of how the whole thing started. So the deal was I was going to own the coffee shop. I was going to keep my day job. She was going to manage the coffee shop. It'd be kind of fun to own a coffee shop. I love good coffee. It's a great environment. It'd be great. So that was a great concept until when it became managed very well, it became very busy. There was a lot of work and it's more than she could handle. And at that time, we had two part-time people and one full-time person and her. Mm-hmm. It was open seven days a week. So I was working there as well as my full-time job. And and it was just, I was working 100, 150 hours a week trying to keep all these balls in the air and it just wasn't working out. So I ended up, long story short, six months later, I ended up giving up my real job to do this full time. And that was in 2006. Wow. So the initial shop was called Lafayette Square. It wasn't called Park Avenue at all? No, the original shop that she opened was called Perk on the Park. Okay. It's right on Lafayette Square. Lafayette Square is the neighborhood that it's located in. Yeah. And there's this kind of, there's a park kind of catty corner to it, right? If I remember correctly. That's correct. Yeah, Lafayette Park is catty corner to that location, right? It's right across from the park. Okay. Yeah. Because I, I had to stop by to get a latte on the way home and the Lafayette location was closer to where we were staying. Oh, nice. The, oh my gosh. St. Louis's neighborhoods are just beautiful. You know what? I don't think we realize how lucky we have it here when, until you go to a newer city. You uh-huh. know, St. Louis is an old, old, old city. We just turned 250 years old. So I guess we're 252 years old now. So it's an old, old city. So the architecture we have is just amazing. Yeah. And you go to newer cities and it's like, they're so boring. You know, the architect is so, architecture yeah. is so boring because you don't have all that ornate detail. And yeah, it's a, it's a pretty amazing city when it comes. If you like architecture, St. Louis is a great place to come and check out architecture for sure. Yeah. I remember I went to Hoboken, New Jersey because my I've got another podcast and uh, my co-host lives there and I'm from Des Moines. So it's like, it was just kind of mind blowing seeing all this architecture. And then I go to St. Louis and I'm like, this is similar. Right. You know, and like in Des Moines, it's got, you know, one or cool two little neighborhoods, but for the most part, it's, it's newer. It's not right. Quite as storied. So I didn't know that you had bought the coffee shop from someone else. That's actually kind of a cool development. And I didn't know you were in it. So it's actually kind of cool that you took this entire like 180 from your original career to do something else. Well, and the thing was the coffee shop, though it was a beautiful place, it was it wasn't managed the best as it could have been. It was mm-hmm. kind of a hobby for this gal and she didn't really have to work. And so it was kind of a hobby for her. And so if they got slow, she would just leave or if she didn't want to open that day, she just wouldn't open. So it was really, really poorly managed and she'll be the oh, first wow. to admit that it really wasn't a good fit. It was really it was really just kind of a place for her to hang out and she thought, Oh, it'd be cool to own a coffee shop, you know, it'd be fun to hang out and drink coffee all day. But yeah. then you know, the, the, you know, the reality of it is, is you think, oh, it's just a little coffee shop. It's going to be easy to take care of. But, you know, you're, there's a lot when you're dealing with, you know, 12 hours, 13 hours a day that you're open uh, or 15 hours a day. Now we're open 15 hours a day in that location. Mm-hmm. And you're dealing with staffing and you're dealing with ordering and you're dealing with customers and you're dealing with, you know, the business side of things and taxes and paperwork and bills and invoices and all that stuff. It, yeah, it's, it's a lot of work. And you wouldn't think a little coffee shop would be that much work. But if you want to do it well... You know, anything that you do well takes time, takes a lot of effort. You know, the premise that I went into it with, knowing where it had been and where it was going to, intentionally, intentionally, we changed the name, we rebranded, we revamped the menu, we revamped the coffee we're using, everything at that time to make it very obvious that it was different. Mm -hmm. The biggest thing I went into that was with really with one premise is that, you know what, it's all about customer service. If we take care of the customer, the customer will take care of our staff. 
our staff will take care of our customers and our customers will come back and take care of the company. So if we take care of our customers, really that's, that's really the gist of what it is. You know, people want to come in and get a consistent quality drink. They want to come in and get the same service that they expect every time they come in. And as long as you do that, people will come back. It's pretty simple premise. I mean, it's work to do that, but that's really the simple premise behind it. Yeah. Yeah. I read, so I read a couple of articles just out of curiosity before I decided to reach out to you about kind of like the most important aspects of running a coffee shop and article after article was like, coffee is not a food business. It's a people business. Absolutely. We just happen to sell a commodity called coffee. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. correct. And then I think the other tip was like, you have to be number one, obsessed with coffee and like the person who's always going after the God shot of espresso and all that. <laughs> and you have to be in there brewing it yourself. You can't just hire someone to do it for you. So what I figured is like, since your guys' coffee is so good, my kind of initial conception before ever talking to you was like, all right, Dale must have been busting his butt in the first coffee shop before the next ones came about. But now I'm hearing that you actually had a partner to start this out with. How did it start out? Because your sister was working at a pizza place. Was she also like a coffee aficionado before getting into this? No, her initial her initial response to me was, I can't do that. I don't even drink coffee. And really? I said, and she didn't at the time. Now she does, but she didn't at the time. Okay. And I said, you know what? It's no different. We'll take the little pepperonis out. We'll put little brown beans in. It's the same thing. (laughs) You're dealing with people. You're dealing with staffing. You're dealing with customer service. Mm -hmm. You're dealing with ordering. You're dealing with scheduling. You're dealing with food cost and labor cost. I mean, it's the same exact business. And so in that aspect of running the business side of the business, it is the same. It mm. is a food business in that aspect. And when it comes to the actual coffee business, it's definitely about relationships. It's definitely about people. You know, we have a little tagline. Our tagline is good people, good coffee, and good gooey butter cake, which we'll get into the gooey butter cake thing in a moment. But so it's good people is first, and that's absolutely 100% intentional. It's all about people. Mm. And, you know, you said just a second ago that I must be there doing all these shots myself because it was so perfect. But obviously the day that you were in, I wasn't there. Mm-hmm. And that all goes back to, you know, we opened in August 1st of 2006. We rebranded that, started from scratch, opened that store up. And I actually had an interview that day that we opened by the little neighborhood local paper. And I said that I have very high standards in the quality of service that we provide our customers and even higher standard on the quality of products that we serve. And to do that, we have to have the right people in place. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. It's all about people, but both directions. It's all about people, our customers, but it's all about people and staffing and having the right people, developing our staff, giving them the tools to succeed Make sure you put the people in the right place. So, you know, some of our employees do better under high pressure, fast paced. They work at the faster paced cafes. People mm-hmm. that may do better under a little bit lower, you know, more of a steady flow of traffic work in locations like that. So I think it's important you put the right people in place and each person may be a different place for them, but put them in the right place to succeed. Give them the tools to succeed. Give them the training to succeed. And people can do this. I don't have to pull every shot of espresso. And obviously with four stores and, and serving a thousand customers a day now, there's no way I can do all that myself. We have to have the right people in place to do that. Yeah, that's, that's totally impossible to do it all yourself. Definitely agree with the the whole importance of putting people where they fit best. I remember I got a job at Target when I was in high school and they put me as like a sample guy. Right. Where I just like stood in the aisle and did almost nothing for like 90% of my shift. And I was horrible. And then I was like, you need to put me somewhere where I work harder. And they put me in like the most busiest fast food crazy 10 balls in the air kind of thing at once. And I was like, 
this is perfect. Yeah, exactly. Like my element. Yeah, so other people would just have a meltdown in that situation. Like, give me mm-hmm. that little sample job. I'm good with that. You know, it, it, <laughs> it is. I think people, you know, we can't all be the same. What a boring place this would be if we were all the same. So mm-hmm. I think, right. I think it's important to do that for sure. Yeah. So did you have any prior business experience before this or was your IT job like self-employed or was it for someone else? So yes, I had prior business experience. I actually owned a business when I was 21 years old that failed miserably Mm -hmm. and completely, this is, this is going to crack you up, but I actually owned a transmission repair shop. Really? Completely unrelated. (laughs) Yeah. I've had a lot of careers in my life and one of those careers was I was a certified ANC certified master technician. And that was just one of the things I've done in life. But uh, yeah, I was, I was 21 years old and I, I learned a lot from that business. And I realized at that time that what I really loved about business at that point was the whole what's new and exciting and different. You know, I'm, I'm you know, they, there's different people in different perspectives in business. And some people are like the entrepreneur that's like bigger, better, faster, smarter. And then other people are the manager who, they want to do the same thing today that they did yesterday and the same thing tomorrow that they did today and nothing changes and everything's within the little square box. And as long as they stay within their little comfort zone, they're good. You know, and then there's people who just want to do the work. You know, I just want to make lattes. I don't want to do anything else. I don't want to unlock the door. I don't want to be responsible for anything. I want to make lattes. Mm-hmm. And so you've got the technician who wants to do that. You've got the manager who does the day-to-day stuff and does the same thing over and over and over again. And then they have people like me who, you know, being the entrepreneur is, I don't like day-to-day stuff. I get bored with day-to-day stuff. Doing the same thing every day over and over and over again is not fulfilling to me at all. And so my first business failed because after I got it set up and after I got it started and I started this place from scratch and I was 21 years old and it was successful and profitable and you know I was a 20-year-old driving a new Mustang convertible. I mean, we were doing great. And then when we got open and everything was running smoothly, I got bored and I was just mm. around because it wasn't, it wasn't fun anymore at that point. So I learned in this one that the day-to-day stuff is not my trick. And Mm -hmm. what my sister, who was in a franchise concept for 20 years, doing the same thing over and over and over again is exactly what she does and does very well. What she doesn't do well with is change. And so that was a challenge, obviously, when I wanted to make changes and make things better. But the bottom line is, is I knew I wasn't the guy to do the day-to-day stuff. And that's made the difference between the first business, which I failed miserably in, and this business is understanding you have to hire people for the stuff that you don't want to do or can't do, or it's not your, your gift. Right. And if you do that, you can succeed. But if you have to do stuff that you hate, you're just not going to do it or you're not going to do it very well. So is that part of the reason that it's expanded so much? Cause you're constantly looking for ways to do something different. I think one thing that I've told business people in the past is I think a lot of people get a business model or a business plan in their head And I think they do some things very well where they put their nose to the grindstone, they put their head down and they go for that goal. And that goal is everything to them and it's end all be all and that's what they have to do. And I think some people miss opportunities by doing that. So I think yet though, I think there's a lot of value in, yes, setting a goal and working, you know, adamantly to that goal, I think is important. But I also think sometimes you have to make sure you're looking up in front of you to see where you're going to see if opportunities present themselves. Mm. And so with that said, you know, our second location, so I said something earlier about gooey butter cake and gooey butter cake is this St. Louis dessert. It's, it was actually made by mistake in the early 1940s. Somebody was making a deep butter cake similar to a pound cake. Mm-hmm. They reversed the flour and the sugar ingredients, so way too much sugar and way too little flour. The cake didn't rise properly, so it stayed really low in the pan, but it had so much sugar in it, it kind of caramelized around the edges and on the crust, so it kind of made this 
lemon bar kind of thing. So you had a crust on the, around the edges and on the, on the bottom. And then it was like this gooey center. Okay. So it, his wife later that day, you know, they obviously realized they made a mistake and they remade the deep butter cake that they were making. And later that day, his wife walks back into the kitchen and tastes it and says, you know what? It's really good, but it's awfully gooey. And it was called a deep butter cake. And so at that time they pegged it a gooey butter cake. So it's very much a St. Louis unique St. Louis dessert. You won't find it many places outside of St. Louis. And so growing up in St. Louis, it was a staple in our life. You know, my grandparents made it. My mother made it growing up. And so we decided that we were a local coffee shop. And what's more local to St. Louis than gooey butter cake? And we should do local stuff. So we started making my mom's traditional gooey butter cake. Well, and I say we, it really wasn't we. My sister started making my mom's traditional gooey butter cake. <laughs> And so we actually started doing this gooey butter cake and it was like a phenomenon. I mean, everyone in St. Louis knew where it was. There was some companies here in St. Louis doing it, but not a lot. And so we started out with doing my mom's traditional gooey butter cake and ended up doing another flavor for a customer. And then before you knew it, we had 75 different flavors of this specialty dessert called gooey butter cake. So we were baking all that out of the original coffee shop. My sister was baking all of that when, by herself, and then we got busier. She had one staff person helping her, and we would do coffee baking, coffee shop baking until lunchtime, and then we would start baking our gooey butter cakes from noon until 10 p.m. So we were running a second shift out of the coffee shop doing the gooey butter cake, and so it wasn't too long after that we decided we couldn't do that. We basically ran out of space on the upstairs of the coffee shop, so we built a lower-level production room, so we were carrying all the ingredients downstairs, to make the cakes and then carry all the ingredients of the cakes upstairs to bake and then downstairs to cool and package and then back upstairs to deliver. So it wasn't long before we really ran out of space there and we actually opened a bakery and the baking company is called Ann and Allen, which happens to be my sister and my middle name. So it's Ann, A-N-N and then Allen, A-L-L-E-N baking okay. is a bakery that we own. So the, that bakery does gooey butter cake and it also bakes for uh, some of our for all of our stores and then a lot of our products that we get for our coffee shops. So like our cookie doughs and some of our muffin batters and our scone batters and all that stuff we make from our baking company, deliver refrigerated to each one of our coffee shops and then they bake them fresh in each store. That's actually really cool that you guys are able to from scratch, make all of your baked goods in an operation that has multiple stores. Cause I would imagine that a lot can't do that. Well, and I think, it was, it's kind of an interesting, the gooey butter cake was the kind of that conduit that helped us get busy enough. When we, at that time, when we were baking in, in the basement of our first, first coffee shop, we were baking for a grocery store chain that had five stores here in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. We were also baking for a coffee shop chain who had four units here in St. Louis besides our own coffee shop. So we were basically baking for 10 companies out of the basement of our little coffee shop. And so we were lucky enough to have that business to be able to afford to move into a baking commissary because that's the challenge is you're having another business address with another set of rent and only electric and gas and utilities and staffing and labor and all of that without having any retail business there. Yeah. So it is a challenge. So we had the ability since the gooey butter cake had kind of been taken off and we had started shipping our gooey butter cake as well as providing it for other shops here in St. Louis and grocery stores. We had enough clientele to open a bakery. So it was in January of 2009 that we opened that baking operation. And then uh, as far as the expansion, and I know it took me a minute to get to that point, but so it was in 2010 that we were approached and being you know, open to opportunities, we were not looking to go downtown, but this company had called and had a space downtown and wanted to know if we were interested in it. 
And we were definitely interested in going downtown. And I think at that point we had been on Food Network for our gooey butter cake. And so it's, we had gotten some national exposure. So people came into St. Louis looking for this and we were like two miles out of downtown. So a lot of people travel for business. They don't have a rental car. And St. Louis is not the best mass transit company, you know, city out there in the country. Yeah. So it's not easy to get around. If you know, you almost have to have a car in St. Louis if you're here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Uber is now here, but that's just is a real recent thing, too. And, and taxis aren't on every corner like you'd see in a big major city, unfortunately. So we were too far from downtown to really pull much traffic from people who were traveling. So a downtown location would have been perfect for us. And so though we weren't necessarily looking for it, the opportunity arose the guy contacted us and said, would you like to do this? And I'm like, you know, we just opened this baking operation. We're not really not ready. And, you know, we had a great reputation in the location that we were at and they really wanted us downtown. And they ended up really, really helping us out as far as like build out cost. And, you know, there was already an existing shop there that had failed. So there was some equipment left behind. And so we basically were able to go in and rebrand it, repaint it and open it within about two months. And wow. it was a great opportunity, and downtown has been phenomenal. We, as you know, if you went to our downtown store, we're only about two blocks, block and a half from the convention center. So yeah. most all traffic downtown is you know in for business or in for a convention, and we're so close to the convention center, so that brings a ton of business to us for sure. I don't even think I looked up your company on Yelp or anything. I just We were walking from the Arch to uh, the City Museum, and I was like, we need a coffee shop to get our reading done, and oh, there's one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so so yeah, it's, it's a great area. I think it's one. Of, it's it's the only coffee shop in downtown St. Louis that doesn't serve food. So it's actually a place that you can go and catch up on your reading or get on your laptop and yeah. hang out and not feel guilty for taking a table when they're trying to serve lunch service. And you know what? I kind of noticed that because it seems like a lot of the places here in Des Moines have more of like a sit down vibe, and then a lot of the places I looked up in St. Louis were almost like restaurants, maybe. Right. And maybe I just. And it's a challenge you have in the coffee business. Pretty much anywhere you go in the country, the north, the northeast is probably, or the northwest, excuse me, is probably a little bit unique to any area in the country when it comes to coffee. But anywhere else in the country, most places, it's tough to survive on coffee alone Mm -hmm. because there's parts of the day that people don't buy coffee, right? I mean, if you're out at lunch, you're probably not buying coffee. You're going to grab something for lunch and, and eat and go back to work or whatever. And so, a lot of places. You have a real dead time in coffee in the in the afternoon, you know, early afternoon and lunchtime, and then evening time is really bad around mm-hmm. dinner time or whatever. The one thing that allowed us not to serve lunch, and we really didn't want to serve lunch going into this, uh, it's just a lot more. I mean, people think, oh, we just had a sandwich. Well, then you've got, you know, we got to get bread, and then you got to keep bread fresh, and then you've got to get meat, and you got to make sure you go through it before it goes bad, and then, you know, you've got you've got more loss, and you've got more waste, and you've got more spoilage, and it's just a, a big, big, big deal. But most places have to have that little extra 15 or 20% of sales to really make ends meet because mm-hmm. it is tough to make it on coffee alone. You know, people think that coffee's four bucks a, a glass or whatever, four bucks a cup is a lot of money. But at the end of the day, if we walk away with 10% of the cost of your coffee, so if you spend $4.50, if we walk away with 45 cents, that's pretty good. 10 to 15% margin is, is pretty typical in this business. So it takes a ridiculous amount of volume yeah. to be able to pay your staff and make sure your equipment continues to run and you can pay your rent and those sorts of things. So, so, there's, so most shops will do coffee because they have to. And one of the things I think is a challenge, and you even said that, so you kind of go in and it's like you feel like you're in a restaurant. And I think that's the thing is we always in all of our signs and all of our stores is we are the neighborhood coffee shop. And the neighborhood coffee shop is a place where you can go and meet your neighbor or meet your new neighbors or meet new people or whatever you need to do. And it's not a restaurant where you have to go sit at a table with four chairs 
and that's your coffee shop. All of our places definitely have, you know, comfy, cozy seating and places to hang out and never pressured you to leave after an hour of Wi-Fi or any of that. I mean, it's truly a community space and it all goes back to it's all about people. Yeah, exactly. Actually, on the margin aspect, I wanted to ask you because I was I was doing some research about that before I ended up reaching out to you. And I think one blog post said it was like 8% margin on coffee or something. And they said that was good, which yeah. blew my mind. I was like, 8% margin is good on a pro- on a product? So I just like did a back of the napkin calculation. Like you'd have to sell, I think, a thousand cups a day at like an average of 350 if you want to bring in 10 grand. And that's before, you know, you're keeping lights on, employees, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's it's not nearly as as profitable as people think. People think even and I think a lot of people think restaurants in general. Mm-hmm. You know, if you go out to dinner and spend a hundred bucks, you're like, oh my god, it was a hundred bucks for that dinner for four of us or whatever for two of you or whatever it was, and it's like that's a lot of money. But put it into the consideration of what it takes. You know, you have to have a manager in that store, and you have to have employees, and you have to have equipment and stuff breaks, and you know, you have to get it repaired, and you know, the electrics on, and the door opens six hundred times a day because you got three hundred people walking in and three hundred people walking out. So the air conditioner bill is fifteen hundred bucks a month. Mm-hmm. You know, our little bitty space in Lafayette Square, it's not uncommon. I mean, I think last month, which was super, super mild here, we had a thousand dollar electric bill. Oh my gosh! You know, so it takes you know how many how many coffees does it take to get to that thousand dollars so you can pay the electric bill? So yeah, yeah, it's all about volume, and and you know, it's one thing, and that's it's that's the hard part is is you have to have volume, but you can't start day one with volume. So it's it's a challenge, and it's and any business is hard. I mean, and I think though I love absolutely love what we do. Every day I love coming to work. It doesn't seem like work at all, which is what I'll tell anybody who goes into business for themselves. Find something that you love. Don't try to do something because you think there's a buck to be made in it because you're going to be miserable. <laughs> Find something that you love and figure out how to make money doing that. That's yeah. the trick. That's, that's the trick. So what did you guys do uh, initially to get volume when you were just, just starting out? Well, again, the coffee shop, that's the initial coffee shop, was in an amazing neighborhood. And the neighborhood that it's in is like, I would, I would put it up against pretty much any neighborhood in St. Louis. It's, it's not necessarily the cheapest place to live in St. Louis, but it's one of the safest, one of the best places to live. The housing market is very good. The houses are very expensive. Uh, it, it brings a really great clientele, especially for, for coffee shops, you know, coffee shops, people, professionals drink coffee out, you know, people are lower income. That's not a good demographic for coffee. So the demographics of that particular neighborhood was, was really, really good. They were super supportive of their neighborhood. They got it. And I say, they get it like, okay, if the business community is thriving, property values will increase. If the businesses aren't thriving and there's a bunch of boarded up businesses in the neighborhood, that's not good for our neighborhood and our values. Okay. And they got that. I mean, people in our neighborhood would wear shirts that say chain restaurants with a circle and a slash through it. I mean, they're St. Louis. And I, and I think this is becoming more and more all over the country. But I think 10 years ago, St. Louis was huge on supporting local, you know, and take care of the people who can take care of you. And so we're very involved in our communities. We're very involved in our neighborhoods. And we sponsor the, you know, the kids in the neighborhood and we sponsor the park and we have the arts council that does concerts in the park. We sponsor that, you know, and we're, we're as much of a part of the community as the community is a part of us. Mm-hmm. And it's a two way street. We have to be there for them because they're there for us every day when we open the door to come in and buy their coffee. So right. I think the neighborhood really, really wanted to support that coffee shop from day one. 
And I had done some recon before I actually decided to buy it. And I would walk, I'd go up there during the day or in the evenings around dinner time when people were walking from the restaurants. And I'm like, hey, what do you think of that coffee shop over there? Like, it's a great place. We love it, but they're never open. And I heard that 20 times out of 30 people that I talked to that looked like they were neighborhoody kind of people. 20 out of 30 of them said, yeah, the place is awesome, but it's never open. Okay. So, so I'm like, okay, well, if they think it's awesome, but they stopped trying to come by because every time they come by, it would be closed. And they're like, well, we just gave up on the place, but it would be great if it'd be open. So I thought, okay, so they want something consistently and consistency. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's anybody wants consistency. We want consistency in our life every day. You know, if it's, if it's, you know, what we expect on traffic when we go to work, what we expect from our spouse or significant other when we get home or what we expect at work, we want consistency in our life. So I'm like, that's easy to accomplish, right? We can be open set hours. And so it, when it became managed very well, and my sister did a great job managing the day-to-day stuff, people started coming in and then they would tell their friends. And then it was just really absolutely grassroots and people told people and we got a little bit of press when we opened up and that helped. And then we did this gooey butter cake thing. And then, you know, three years later we were on food network with that. So that obviously helped things out. And then we opened our downtown location. So that obviously helped things out. And then we got to a point where the the bakery did a great job supporting our coffee shops but we were buying our coffee from someone else. We were buying from a local roaster here in St. Louis mm-hmm. and it was great for a long time. And then all of a sudden we started seeing some consistency issues and we started seeing some quality issues. And, and I became very, very worried about that because it's like, okay, I'm building my livelihood and my business on this coffee. And if I can't count on this coffee, how am I going to count on being able to do consistency for my customers? Right. Right. So long story short, we decided we should start roasting our own coffee. We literally had that many problems with the local roaster that we needed to do something and we needed something pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. So in January of 2013, we went shopping for a roaster. We ended up finding this great coffee roaster out of a company out of Santa Rosa, California. It's a brand new technology. It's air roasted coffee. And so we opened our air roasted coffee, um, roasting company in St. Louis here, also in the city in a neighborhood called the Hill, which is the Italian part of St. Louis. Okay. And we uh, bought a 1950s warehouse that was boarded up and abandoned and we rejuvenated the whole thing and rehabbed the entire space, putting 200 solar panels on the roof and we're operating the most eco-friendly roasting facility in the entire Midwest today. That's so cool. So is the roasting facility, the roasting facility is not a coffee shop itself. Well, it wasn't initially. Initially, it was going to be our corporate offices. It was going to be a coffee roasting facility, and it was going to be a training cafe. Okay. Uh, the neighborhood demanded we put a coffee shop in. And it's like, well, it's kind of off the beaten path, and we really don't think it's a great retail space. And the neighborhood's like, there's nothing here. And we have like 700 homes within six blocks of us, mm-hmm. more than that maybe. And so they're like, you're, you're going to put a coffee shop in, right? So long story short, our training cafe became a full coffee shop. Okay. So midway through the project, we had to stop and go through new permitting and new inspections and new everything. So we opened our roasting facility in 1st of July in 2013. And then in April of 2014, we opened our cafe. So we put a full coffee shop in here. The neighborhood has been super supportive. It does very, very well. The neighborhood is always in here. It's a great space for the neighborhood. Even though we're off the beaten path, this location does great. And we do all of our roasting here for all of our stores as well as our wholesale customers. And so that's how this location became about. So again, it wasn't planned. It was one of those opportunities that presented itself. And we decided to seize that opportunity and move forward. 
So was that your third location? That was the third location. That's right. So Lafayette Square, then our downtown location by the convention center, and then this location in our roasting facility. And you've got four now, right? Now we have four. So we weren't even open in this location for the third location. And a company contacted us for an area in St. Louis called Cortex. And recently, St. Louis has been dubbed one of the best startup communities in the country. Really? Even better than like Silicon Valley. And so if you want to do a podcast on startups in St. Louis, there's a ton of stuff. There's a bunch of venture capital here. St. Louis has a thing called Arch Grants where they're giving people $50,000. And all they have to do is they have to come to St. Louis to run their business. We'll give you $50,000. You come to St. Louis and run your business. So they come to St. Louis, they get the money, and they stay, hopefully they stay in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. So great startup community. There's a little area by this little store that just opened up here in St. Louis called Ikea. Just west of there is a place called Cortex. It started about 15 years ago as an innovation community, and they opened one building. And I'm not even sure if that building ever got fully occupied, and it just never really went anywhere for 15 years. And then the last two years, things have gone nuts over there. And there's been a company that's over there developing that area. They actually had contacted us about putting a coffee shop in this building. And at the time, the building had no tenants. The building had nothing in it. They were rehabbing this old building that was they used to do Bell telephone handsets. And so it's this you know, 1930s, 40 warehouse that's completely boarded up and abandoned pretty much. They go in there. They make it a completely lead certified building. They're just getting construction done. They have one tenant committed and they want us to put a coffee shop off the beaten path in this little place that no one knows anything about. And not thinking there was ever a chance in the world it would ever happen. I pretty much said, you know what? There's just no way that that, that place can support a coffee shop. It's, mm-hmm. it's a block off of any road that anybody's going to ever drive by and ever see. And they had made an announcement that Ikea was going to open. But again, it's still Ikea was opening in kind of a desert. In Saint, even though it was right in the middle of St. Louis, it still was just not a very thriving metropolis at all in that area. And long story short, I just gave them a super lowball number and said, you know, this is the only way we can ever make it work in that space. And 14 months of negotiations. We were still, again, we started this negotiation before this, this store ever opened up. 14 months uh, in negotiations, we finally made a deal and actually moved in that space. By the time we moved in there, which was December of this past year, so just six months ago we moved in, there was about 450 employees in that building, and it was fully, oh, wow. it was fully leased out, and then another 100 people moved into that building. So right now there's Boeing in that building, Washington University is in that building, AB Mari, which is a parent company of Fleischmann's Yeast, is in that building. So they have their test kitchens in that building. There's a lot of lab community in there. CIC, which is Cambridge Innovation Center, has 250 startups working out of that building. And then since we moved in, Tech Shop, I'm not sure if you know what Tech Shop is. Mm-mm. They're moving in across the street. So Tech Shop is very similar to like you buy a gym membership. You get to go in and you get to use the free weights and the treadmill and the elliptical. Mm-hmm. Well, this is kind of like a gym membership for high-tech toys and electronics, I guess. And so they have plasma cutters and sandblasters and 3D printers and CAD. That's a thing? That's a thing. It's called Tech Shop. That's amazing. You pay a monthly fee like you do at the gym and you get to go in and use their CAD software and their supercomputers. You can use their plasma cutters and cut things out. They have water jet cutters. They have 3D printers. They have these big industrial sewing machines that you can go in and dig. So one of the things about that, is, and I think they started in San Francisco, is 
for entrepreneurs trying to come up with like prototypes and see if things will work, mm-hmm. you know, they, you can be a member of this thing called tech shop and you can actually go from concept to prototype and like, however long you, how quickly you can do it. You have uses of million dollar plasma cutters just for a monthly fee. And so you can go in and, and do whatever, you know, they have la- they have laser, laser etchers that you can use. They have, I mean, just all kinds of crazy stuff. That is amazing. I, I remember like, wanting to do wood like woodworking projects in college and I think we figured out we could take some safety class and get access to the the design college's tools and stuff but I was like man if you're not a student at a huge university how the heck do you get access to anything that's it then that's exactly that's awesome this are. and they started out like I said in San Francisco Silicon Valley area and they did it for entrepreneurs and and it was just a concept that some guy had an idea and it, it worked. And now there's, I don't even know how many there are around the country, six or eight of them, I think. Wow. And St. Louis is getting one because again, it's, it's, the, it's this, right now it's the center of the startup community and there's a, a ton of great stuff happening here in St. Louis. And so the Pandora is in the building we're at. Uber out of St. Louis is working out of our building there. Square, the, the mobile payment company is, is in that building. So it's, it's really a great, great building now, and it's completely occupied. The tech shop is supposed to be opening up, I think, in the next 90 days. I think by August, they're supposed to be opening up. So that's right across the street. There's two more floors of buildings in that space. And then they're working with putting in a, a little boutique hotel across the street from there and a residential just, just east of there. There's a, they're putting into a, a big residential tower. I mean, so we really got in really ahead of the game. But it's good in, in, in that particular location. You know, We talked about food a little bit ago. One of the deals we had to do is we had to serve lunch in that in that location okay. just because it was such a desert. I mean, there was nothing there. They had to get in their car and drive a half a mile to buy a bottle of water. I mean, there was nothing within walking distance at all. Yeah. And so one of the deals was we had to do lunch. So we actually hired a chef, have a great lunch program at that store, and that store is doing fantastic. It's probably our highest volume store right now, and all is all is going really well there. So that that new store, and again, it's a super high tech, uh, startup community. And so every one of our stores though, they're all, you know, they're all owned by me and they're all park Avenue coffees and they're all branded pretty much the same. Mm-hmm. Each location has its own personality. So you were in our downtown. Yeah. So our first store in Lafayette square is a very small, quaint, cozy, you know, you know, a little bit darker and homey kind mm-hmm. of feel lots of comfy, cozy chairs, really small and quaint. That's the first store. Downtown is kind of like park Avenue coffee went urban. You know, it's, Concrete countertops, 18-foot ceilings, exposed concrete pillars, exposed brick. Yeah. Um, you know, so that's kind of like that That actually, funny story, though, that is the absolute first loft development that the city of St. Louis ever approved in the city of St. Louis. Really? And that was done about 17 years ago. That was built out as a coffee shop 17 years ago, before it was even cool to be a coffee shop. Mm-hmm. And it was in the very first loft community in the St. Louis. So there's above that building, there's three, there's two floors of, of business offices. And then there's floor three through 11 are residential condos in that building downtown. So that's kind of like Park Avenue coffee gone urban. And then our new store, or the, the new store in the roasting facility, again, it's a 1950s warehouse. Mm-hmm. This entire build was reclaimed. We have reclaimed wood out of a building here in St. Louis that was torn down. We have reclaimed uh, light fixtures that we've pulled out of places that were being torn down. We, there was a Crestwood Mall here in St. Louis. was a, a mall that was being demolished, and we bought a bunch of stuff from there and reclaimed the front counter. And so it's all fabricated stuff. And 
our, our condiment bar where you get your cream and sugar is an old clothing cart that came out of a, a, a men's express clothing store that, out of this mall that closed up. So it's entirely industrial. Lots of the ceilings are all corrugated metal. The floors are all concrete, polished concrete floors that are original floors that were in the 1950s warehouse when we bought it. So this is very industrial, very much matches the space. And then our newest store, though it's an older building, it's a high-tech business incubator. And so that store is digital menu boards and super high-tech espresso machine and POS system and online ordering and very high-tech. And so each one kind of matches the space. I think one of the things that's important to me is we don't want to be cookie cutters for sure because I think everything has its own personality. Yeah. But I think the cool thing about Park Avenue Coffee is you get the same quality of service and you get the same quality of product. But these buildings were around way longer you know, way before Park Avenue was. And I feel like these buildings, we should, we should represent them versus them trying to represent us. Yeah. So let's us fit into them because they were here way longer than we were. And let's make Park Avenue fit within the spaces as they are. So that's kind of the theory. So each one has its own little personality, which is kind of nice. Man, I really want to go see that third store now. There's a tiny little brewery in this, this little town called Bondurant, which is like 20 minutes from where I live. And they did the same thing. It's all reclaimed. They like tore up the old railroad. And so there's like railroad tracks and like wooden slats in the railroad in there making all the doors and everything. Yeah. It's amazing. Like it just got this amazing rustic quality. I love it. Yeah. Well, th- and this store here we did, you know, it's, it's a, the roasting facility is 5,000 square feet. And then our baking operation is actually the next project we have this fall. We're moving our baking operation into an attached adjoining building to our roasting operation. So mm-hmm. All of our bacon and all of our roasting will be done in the same build in the same building now. So we'll have centralized delivery systems and centralized shipping and stuff. So that'll be that'll be nice yes. synergy for us to work together and have centralized accounting. So we can have one accounting department all in one building. And so that'll help us with some things. But I mean we did most of the work in this space ourselves. So we re- the wood came out of a couple seven building, which is a building here in St. Louis. The beams that came out of it, the entire structure of this building was seven floors. The entire structure was wood. There was no steel. There was no concrete. Every inch of this building was built with wood. And so the the basement beams were 17 inches square and 28 feet long. Oh, my gosh. And so we have those cut down. And on one entire wall, we have this whole reclaimed wood wall. And the guy who reclaimed the wood said that he thinks that wood's probably was about 150 years old when it was cut down and put in that building. And that building was built 107 years ago. So, oh my gosh. So it's somewhere around 250 years old. So it was probably yeah. one of the first buildings in St. Louis, honestly, uh, were these couples buildings. And there was a series of nine warehouses and most of them have been turned into other things today. And, you know, businesses, there's one that has a Weston hotel occupies part of one of them. Uh, there's a bunch of businesses and other ones. There's some lofts and some of the other ones, but there's nine of them. And, and unfortunately one of them didn't make it just because it, the roof had gone bad and, and it had gone on ill repair and the, the rooftop units actually fell through all the way to the basement from the, just the wood rot. So they were able to reclaim some of the wood, but the building itself couldn't be saved. Yeah. Oh man. That's so cool though. Like 250 year old buildings. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. <laughs> well, the wood, the, the building wasn't that old. Or I guess the wood, the yeah. wood. Yeah. The wood was, you know, the wood was growing here when St. Louis was founded basically 255 yeah. years ago. So, so I, I gotta know, like you're running an operation that has six different buildings now, right? Correct. Yeah. Six different businesses. Do you ever get overwhelmed? Just like, (laughs) do you ever wake up and just like, I am the king of an empire? (laughs) Oh, no, no, no. No. And I think, you know, people, 
it's funny because people say, well, you know, you have all these people working for you. And we have, I don't know, we have probably close to 50 employees now or something mm-hmm. with all of it. And I, and I still feel like to this day, I think we, I still work for each one of them, mm-hmm. you know, um, even though they're our employees, you know, and we have a great team. I mean, you know, our, our director of operations who is, is not an owner of the company, but is completely as committed as I am when it comes to this company, you know, he's putting in as many hours as I am. And it, it's, there's, there's no way I can do this without all the people that are here. Yeah. And it, it's, a, you know, I'm running a little coffee shop. It's what it is, you know, it's nothing more <laughs> than that. It's, it's, yeah, there's four of them now and there's a roasting facility. And, but I don't know. I don't know. I never feel like I'm running an empire. I think sometimes I feel like the empire is running me. Yeah. But uh, no, the other way around. No. And, and it is, it's, it, it takes, it, it takes, you know, they say it takes a village or whatever. It takes a team for sure. And mm-hmm. it, this doesn't happen like, you know, doesn't happen uh, easily and it takes a lot of effort to do that. And I, and I think, and I think even, you know, to this day, I don't do much of the day to day stuff, but yeah, still do. I still try to keep, and I was at our, one of our locations. I was at our downtown location today. They got a brand new pastry case and we actually got this pastry case and we had to uninstall the other one. And I was down there cleaning the pastry case and taking it out. And, and, you know, it's no different than that. I mean, we it's still all hands on deck. It's still a small business. It still takes a lot of effort. It still takes a lot of time. You know, I mean, most of my days, I don't start nearly as early as I used to when I open the store. But I mean, three days this week, I, we had catering events two days this week. And one day I was up at four and one day I was up at five for catering events. And then, you yeah. know, my day normally stops around eight or nine o'clock at night. Your day. Stops. So do you take weekends or are you working like seven days a week? It's, it's, it's pretty much seven days a week. I, okay. I will sneak a day here and there. Like I didn't work this past Sunday, which is probably the first day this year that I didn't work. And I snuck in and snuck out, but uh, I still come in for my coffee most days. Actually, Sunday was one of the very first days I didn't come in for coffee. Probably if I've been in town, I bet there's only been, I bet there's been five days in 10 years that I haven't been in one of the stores getting coffee. If nothing more than that, yeah, every, every day, probably five times in 10 years that I haven't been. I mean, that, yeah. And that's the grind. So I got to ask as the owner of four different coffee shops, what's your favorite way to have your coffee? So right now, and it's varied over the years. It's gone, it's gone all over the place. Right now, I do four shots of espresso. It's basically an americano. So four shot americano, Mm -hmm. sixteen ounces with four shots of espresso, and then just just a little bit of two percent to cool it off, so I can drink it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The the heat's always like I just want to drink it right away, so I can never get like the just the coffee because it's always too hot. Right. That's that's kind of the way I am. I want it. I need my coffee now, and I don't I don't want it hot so I can drink it in an hour. I want it so I can drink it now. Yeah, exactly. So I gotta say, talking to you, it it sounds like one of your best and most successful qualities. It just seems like you're really really good at adapting to things that happen. Well, and I think you have to be. You know, and and every day things happen. You know, I mean, you know, we had a, a an employee who had a her father had a stroke, and you know, and. Another one whose family, his car broke down on his way back from his visiting his family and he couldn't make it back to, I mean, so every day is changing. And, and I think the, probably the best part of that is I'm not the first person they call anymore, which is kind of nice, mm-hmm. but it, it gives me a, I have a layer of, of defense between me and the, oh, I have to have a shift covered, but, but no, it's, it, everything adapts, everything changes. And, you know, thank God we've been, we've been super successful and all of our stores have, have been profitable and we haven't had any you know, downturns really, we, we were kind of recession proof. You know, we started in 2006, yeah. 2007, eight, nine were tough times for a lot of businesses. And we were very fortunate to be able to charge right through that. And we grew every year. We never, we've never decreased in sales every year we've grown. And so we're very fortunate in that. And, and I think it's, 
one thing that my staff and my management team hears from me way more than they like to hear is little things make big differences. Yes. Little things. Absolutely. Big differences. When people come in and you greet them as soon as they walk through the door and the last thing you do before they leave is say, Hey, thanks so much for making us a part of your morning. We'll see you tomorrow. That's not yeah. people. You know, that's that those things, those make an impression on people. And the thing that you have to understand, and I think the people, a lot of coffee shops didn't make it through 2007, eight and nine. And mm-hmm. I think the reason that is we've seen a lot of, of, of smaller independent coffee shops, but you know, in the early, in the, in the early two thousands, late 99, you know, nineties and early two thousands, economy was great. People had money. People would buy coffee. People would buy whatever because the money was good. But then when things got bad, people wouldn't buy okay coffee. Yeah. People would splurge and buy good coffee because you know what? They weren't buying a new car. They weren't buying a new house. They may not be going on vacation, but gosh darn it, I'm going to treat myself to my morning coffee. <laughs> and and we saw that, but people wouldn't treat themselves to morning coffee unless it was good. Yes. It was less than good. They're like, you know what? That's four bucks that I can save and buy something good. Mm-hmm. And so the people who didn't do a really good job didn't make it through that period of time. The people who did a good job with what they did made it through. And it was tough for a lot of folks. I know we were very, very fortunate not to be affected by that. But I think if you did, if you did it well, people came back. And one of the things today, every place on the planet sells coffee. Yep. I mean, every gas station, and there's some gas stations that are doing a pretty decent job with coffee, honestly. You know, mm-hmm. I sometimes hate to admit that, but there's some there's some gas stations that are really trying to up their game when it comes to coffee. So why do people drive by three gas stations that sell okay coffee to come visit us? And that's what we have to be different to everybody else. Yeah. And and that by thanking them and like getting to know them and like having part of the rewards program and you know, different things and try to get them to come back and give them a free drink for their birthday. And all those little things add up to make a big difference. Yeah. I had that drilled into my head when I worked as an orientation assistant at my college, my manager or boss, she was like this old lady and she's <laughs> like, every little detail counts. These people are paying to go here for four years and you're giving them a tour and you're helping them sign up for classes and every little tiny detail is going to matter. Yeah. And and I'm a perfectionist, which is even harder. And so it's Mm. hard to let go of a lot of this stuff because I want it exactly the way I want it. And it's, and no one else, even no matter how committed or how bought in, how much buy-in you have to work for a company, no one likes it exactly perfect like you. And so there's there's a challenge sometimes to step back on that. And, and, And I don't spend as much time in our stores as I used to. And and I was at our downtown store today for the first time in quite a while. And, you know, overall, the store looked fantastic. But there were a couple of little things. I'm like, we need to take care of that. We need to take care of that. And don't forget that, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but overall, I mean, they're doing a great job. And we have amazing staff. And we have great customers that come in and support us, you know, and just have un- unconditional support for us. And those people, I had, I had coffee with one of them last week who's been with us. He was a customer in that coffee shop before I ever owned it. And he's still a customer today. And it's just... We have an insanely loyal customer base and it's, it makes a difference. It makes a difference. That is awesome. So one last question for you. I want to bring it back to the coffee. Sure. I mean, you're not in the stores any anymore, like brewing the coffee yourselves or, or making espresso or anything. Back when you were starting it out, since your sister hadn't really done coffee before, was it a process of you just kind of trying to teach her the w- coffee the way you liked it? Or did you like test it on customers to kind of get well, a recipe you liked? The fortunate part about that was we had one full-time and two part-time employees. And the full-time employee that we had at the time was very, very good at what he did. Mm-hmm. And so my sister went to work there 
before we owned it, before I owned it, she went to work there and she worked there for a month for free. She got up every morning, she went in and she was going to try to learn what they did and how they did it. Mm. And, and she did, and she, and she did that. And then she's like, you know what? I think this is wrong. And I think we need to fix this. And I think this, and, and overall, I think we really, and I think the biggest thing that we really, I don't think we, I don't think we like did anything miraculous other than treat people fairly, give them a good quality product for a fair price and be open, consistent hours. I mean, and again, that sounds maybe oversimplified, but really that's all people want. Yeah. And if you can provide that and give them great customer service, you give them no reason not to come back. And so as long as mm-hmm. they come back, everything is good. So yeah, she didn't drink coffee. So that does make it a little bit more of a challenge. She couldn't be the one that like, Oh, I tasted that. And that didn't taste right. Now today she drinks coffee every day. I mean, we've, we've converted her to a coffee, <laughs> but, but yeah, so it, it I think it, again, you don't have to know everything yourself. And somebody famous said this saying, and I'll steal it, but I don't know who it was to give credit to. It's like you hire people who are smarter than you and let them do what they do because they're smarter than you. Don't hire people that are smarter than you and then tell them what to do. Mm -hmm. So you have to hire people. So, you know, there's, there's three parts of being an entrepreneur that you have to be successful in business. You have to have that technician part. We talked about that person doing the work every day. You have to have the management piece, which manages the work and manages the schedule and manages the employees and manages the production so that the, the worker can do their job because you have somebody managing it. And then you have to have an entrepreneurial piece of that, which is me, which is, you know, we can do it better, faster, you know, quicker, smarter or whatever. And so to keep things innovative and keep things new and fresh and not stale and what can we do different and how can we make this better and look outside the box sometimes and say, you know what, we've done it like this all along and it's not really broken, but would it be better to do this? So on that is this is I think that half of what we do today has probably been brought on by someone who worked with us over the years. You know, I can't look because I one of the things that we look at is there's three things we look at to make any change in our company ever. And this goes from the person who is packaging our coffee in our roasting facility to our director of operations who's second in command over the entire six companies to my sister who now has morphed into running the entire baking operation with her and her team. So she's running the baking operation on her own is three things you look at when you go to make a change. How does it affect our customer? Is the process faster? Is it slower? Is it more cost effective? Is it less cost effective? How does it affect the customer? That's always the first thing we look at. Can we do it faster, but yet more efficient or slower? Less? How does that affect the customer? That's number one. Number two thing you look at is how does it affect us as a team? Can we do it easier? Is it less work for us? Is it more work for us? Is it more time consuming, less time consuming? How does it affect us as a team? That's the second thing you look at. And the third thing you look at is how does it affect the bottom line? Is it more expensive to do it this way? Is it less expensive to do it this way? Can we do it more efficiently so we're going to save half as much time and spend three more pennies? What makes sense? And if mm-hmm. those three things make sense, obviously the first being the customer, which all goes back to it's all about people, it's all about relationships, and it's all about customers. And second of how does it affect us as teammates and team members and how does it affect us to do our job? And the last thing is how does it affect the bottom line? So that's important, but it's obviously not the most important. Yeah. If we can, we can justify those three things of why we need to make a change, then we make that change. And that's exactly how we do it on everything and anything that we make a change on. Those three things are looked at on everything, no matter if it's the kind of toilet paper that we're using in our toilets to the type of hand soap that's in the kitchen. I mean, all of those things, how does it, how does those things affect that? Yeah. Man, I've wanted to do an episode on coffee, but I feel like this ended up being like a masterclass on just running a business in general. 
Like, I think you can apply this to everything. If you want to do something with coffee later, we can do that. But uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I don't. I didn't really know exactly where this was going, and it just it kind of went where it went. And uh, and if you want to do something differently some other time, I'd be happy to do it. Actually, yeah, I mean, this was fantastic, Dale. Thank you so much for coming to the show. Most guests have their own websites and they're doing stuff kind of globally. I know you're mostly local in St. Louis. So, I mean, if I've got listeners out in St. Louis, go to Park Avenue. Is there like anywhere online people can follow you? Yeah, if you go to parkavenuecoffee.com, parkavenuecoffee, all spelled out, Mm -hmm. dot com. We sell all of our coffee on our website. We sell all of our gooey butter cakes on our website. Really? Okay. Yeah, we ship ship international. We ship international. Every week we send gooey butter cakes out of the country. So if I buy myself an espresso machine, I can buy coffee from you. Is what you're Absolutely. Saying. I will. I, I know this guy. We can hook you up with some good coffee. Oh, man. Okay. And all of our coffee is small batch air roasted. So it's much brighter, cleaner, crisper cup of coffee. That's a whole nother episode. But yeah, <laughs> air roasted coffee is just much cleaner. You never get that really dark outer. You know, the advantage of going with a darker roast in coffee is you pull more flavors out of it. The downside of a traditional coffee roaster, the darker you go, you get that outer ring that's very, very dark and carbonized yeah. on the outside. And the carbonization gives people the taste of bitterness or burnt, and people don't like dark coffee for that reason. Mm-hmm. Air roasted coffee, you can go dark roast, you get all the flavors out of it without getting that outer burnt black. It's way, way cleaner, crisper, and you never ever get any kind of bitterness or burntness out of our coffee. That's awesome. Yeah, I was I was nerding out about this a little bit before I emailed you, and I ended up watching like this 12-minute completely voiceless just coffee roasting and brewing demonstration with like all these chemistry terms in it and it's like you have to wait to the exact perfect moment where the water drips through but doesn't extract too much yeah and- it's it's definitely, <laughs> there's definitely some science and, and you know and it's yeah it's a very scientific it's not just that you just put water on on coffee and it and it, it does things but there's definitely scientific behind the extraction and the air roasting is the same thing. There's a lot of science behind air roasting. And again, that's a whole nother episode we could talk about and I'd be happy to do that. But yeah, so it's, <laughs> you know, the takeaway from this is find something you love to do and figure out how to make money at it. Because you know what? It doesn't matter if you start at four in the morning and you finish at nine at night. If you love every moment of what you're doing, it doesn't feel like work. And if it doesn't feel like work, it doesn't matter that you did it for 15 hours today because it wasn't work. It was fun. Yeah. So you had fun for 15 hours a day. I mean, how, how lucky am I that I can do that for 10 or 15 hours a day and get paid for it. So yeah, I agree a hundred percent. Dale, thank you so much for coming to the show. This has been awesome. In my pleasure. I had a fantastic time and I would love to talk again. All right, guys. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. Hopefully you enjoyed it and learned something useful. Once again, if you want to find the show notes, they are over at CIGpodcast.com. Find that episode 114 link on the page to find all the resource links that we mentioned in this episode, along with ways to rate and review the podcast on iTunes. That definitely helps support the show. In fact, every single rating and review the show gets on iTunes helps drive the show up the charts and the rankings and helps it become more visible to more and more people, which makes me really happy and enables more students to find it and learn from it. So if you want to support the show, that's a great way to do it. Other than that, if you want to find my favorite tools for being a more effective student, you can find those over at collegeofogeek.com slash resources. And that is all I've got for you in this episode. So until next week's episode, stay cute.